On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're taking stock of where Marvel is at more than midway through the year. That's right. We're talking What If and Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings. Get your popcorn ready. For thousands of years, the Ten Rings gave our family legendary power. My son, now they call to you. I'm not who you think I am. Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Rated PG-13. If I die, it's your fault. September 3rd. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, we got a Marvel movie in the theaters. How you doing today? Doing great. We uh, it feels like every week we talk about this. We're getting closer and closer back to normal. It felt about as normal as it's felt, and uh, you know we're in a good. We're getting. We're in a great mode. We got all these series premieres of some of these TV shows we've uh, been missing because obviously they got pushed back because of the pandemic and they're filming. So you got like billions and succession coming up, and yes, we've got. Uh, your beloved money heist money heist came out with another season. So we've got, you know, all this stuff. It feels like we're, we're back to not having to watch all these reruns. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're, you know, it's tenuous, man. The fact of the matter is, is like we, every episode, it feels like we start out with like, we're happy to be back in the movie theaters. We're happy. Everything's getting back to normal. And part of me thinks we say that just so that, you know, we feel okay about it because because there are a lot of things that are just left that, that, that are still uncertain. You know, we still live in a very uncertain time. You know, Top Gun got pushed all the way back to next year. Paramount's, you know, changing up their executives and allegedly focusing on streaming. Counterpoint to that, though, uh, you know, as we're recording this podcast, Disney announced that all of the remainders of their theatrical movies for this this the rest of this year are going to go exclusively theatrical for the first 45 days of their release. So, you know, and and frankly, you know, you and I, we've we've always been a big fan of of the Disney franchises for better or for worse. So that's always good news. But yeah, man, we got a lot of good stuff to watch right now. We got a lot of good stuff out that people are watching. You know, Shang-Chi just opened to a Labor Day record. Pandemic notwithstanding, like an actual, the actual Labor Day record Mm -hmm. just obliterated it. So, and that's good news. You know, that's good news for the theaters and things like that. But before we get too deep into Shang-Chi, I did want to talk a little bit about Marvel's What If. Uh, it's a series right now that's on Disney Plus, if you if you haven't watched it before. And it's probably, and I know this gets said every time. They said this with Guardians of the Galaxy. They said this with WandaVision. They're saying this about the Eternals. But I genuinely think that what if is probably the weirdest thing that Marvel has done. And the 
kind of most out there thing that they have done as well. It's an animated show. And right now, it seems like it's really an anthology where uh, the Watcher, who is voiced by Jeffrey Wright, kind of dips into different realities, different universes, and watches a slightly different version of a familiar story or a story that at least we're familiar with unfold in ways that are unexpected. So what do you think, you know, without getting into specifics, obviously you have kids, obviously, you know, I remember how uh, aside from Pixar, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you and I talking about how, like, aside from Pixar, you're not really showing up for animated movies but now your kids are now starting to get old enough to where now you can share with them some animated things. So I think that's opening up the door, but this is not necessarily a quote unquote for kids animated series. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's things that I enjoy. I think I, you know, overall am not showing up necessarily as much for, you know, the kids animated movies. I still like, uh, the pandemic brought me binging uh, Clone Wars and Rebels and things like that. And I really enjoyed those, even though they are animated. I would put what if more in the category of those in the sense that, yes, it's animated. So most people's first instinct is going to be that it's more targeted at kids than adults. But I think, you know, that's a lot of what we've been going through to some degree is a shift in you know, what mediums are, are meant for what target audience. And so uh, I've enjoyed it. I think, you know, it, it suffers the same constraints of anything that is, you know, little 30 minute episodes and sure. animated and that in that, you know, that's hard for them to get too much depth. And it's also, I think anytime you have an animated movie or film or, TV show that you're bringing into the overall universe, the, the challenge is making it feel a part of it. And obviously with what if it's even more so because we're not, we're not even in the same timeline as everything that we've watched in the live action stuff. And so um, to that standpoint, I think it's been really unique. I think the other thing that, Marvel has set themselves up for and and maybe this is good maybe this is bad maybe it's doesn't matter is that every time we watch something that is released by Marvel we're trying to find what it all means or how it ties in or why this is important and why is it being released at the time that it is and so it's hard to determine whether we should be caring about how these you know, one-off stories, this kind of anthology series that we're getting, how or what meaning it has into the greater Marvel picture, or whether we should just be enjoying it for, you know, kind of the quirky, fun, like the title says, what if this happened? And and just kind of enjoying it for it being something different and something that is uh, unique to itself. Yeah, and I mean, there are there are rumors they've actually been from what i can tell pretty well locked in in terms of spoilers for this there are rumors that there is an overarching story or that this is all going to come together in some way shape or form but frankly i do find it interesting 
and enjoyable to just be able to watch 30 minutes of a story with characters that I'm familiar with and just have it be like, have it be that, you know, like there is something enjoyable about that. There is, I do still think they're too short. Like I think 30 minutes is still, I like I could watch hours of Captain Carter or I could watch hours of T'Challa being star Lord and whatnot. So I do think that the individual episodes are still too short. Um, but they're still good, you know, yeah. like they're still they're still super interesting. And. You know, I'm I'm a little bit entertained by what, you know, voices they can get and what voices they did not get for whatever reason, you know, whether sure. it be money, whether it be scheduling, whether whatever. Um, but I I do enjoy the little one offs. I do. enjoy. OK, I know Ant-Man. You know, it's kind of like how we always talk about that. There is a, a certain satisfaction and a certain quality to the serialized storytelling and the overarching storytelling that is the MCU. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always talk about all, all the time, like the DC movies that come out. They're decent movies on their own. You know, a lot of them, not all of them. <laughs> but but but, you know. Birds of Prey is perfectly decent on its own. The Suicide Squad that just came out, you know, uh, a month ago. Awesome on its own, you know, and and it doesn't really have anything to do with the fact uh, beyond we know these most of these characters, some of these characters. We know Harley Quinn and we can trust Harley Quinn to do Harley Quinn things. Um, Although, you know, with all that being said, there are definitely rumors that not only is there going to be an overarching storyline for what if, but as we saw in the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, there's going to be some all kinds of multiverse shenanigans happening with Spider-Man. Doctor Strange's literal title is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So the odds of some of this what if stuff actually showing up in live action. Probably pretty good. You know, what's yeah. going to sh- what's going to show up? I don't know. Um, but. But yeah, probably pretty good. Did you have any favorite? Uh, did you have any favorite episodes? We have, we have, we just had our sixth one, our fifth one, fifth one, air. We so far, and again, I'm, I don't know how much anybody cares about what if spoilers, but we have Captain Carter, which is what if Peggy Carter got the Captain America serum. We got what if Chitala became Star Lord, which is what if. Yandu came down and kidnapped young T'Challa instead of young Peter Quill. We got uh, somebody kills the Avengers, which might weirdly be my favorite episode, but before they're all recruited, somebody's taken out each Avenger. We get basically what if Dr. Strange didn't lose his hands, he lost his heart, which is what if, instead of going to become a sorcerer to fix his physical disabilities, he went because of a huge emotional loss. Uh, And then we got zombies. And literally that's like the name of the episode is like, what if zombies? Um, But did you have any of the favorites uh, of, of the ones that have popped out so far? I don't know if one sticks out in particular. I think the, the Avengers one, is the most like well-rounded from mm-hmm. the standpoint of like, you know, start to finish. Like you feel like 
we go a long ways and you feel like a complete story to some degree, um, despite the time constraints. The other ones I all, I really enjoy, but like you were saying earlier, I wish we could have had, you know, an extra 15, 20, 30 minutes of them to kind of explore it. Cause it all kind of feels like we're, you know, in fast forward mode to some degree, but I really liked, uh, you know, hearing from, from rest in peace, our boy, uh, Chadwick Boseman as Chicala, Chicala um, as a uh, star Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed that episode. I think it's fun. It's everything, you know, that we enjoy about guardians is some of the, the fun and quirkiness of it. But I think for me, I think it's overall just what I've enjoyed about it is watching it and just kind of exploring my thoughts around how this might be incorporated, how this might be tied in, what the through line might be. Um, and even just trying to observe. Cause the only, the only reoccurring character that we get across of it is the watcher yep. who is Jeffrey Wright's character. And so he's the only one that we get episode to episode. Who's the same person, quote unquote, uh, or whatever we want to call him being whatever. And so I've been enjoying kind of observing, no pun intended, how the watcher kind of evolves episode to episode. And I haven't watched the zombies one yet, so I didn't get to watch that one that came out a day or two ago. Spoiler alert. There's a lot of zombies. I I figured I figured so. um, But I'm enjoying that and trying to figure out how this might tie in. Obviously, I think one of the things that comes back to me is what I'm really enjoying about the phase that we're in. And obviously you and I, we both loved the infinity gauntlet saga and, you know, the phases and the stories that it took us through. But I think what I love about this phase thus far is how ambitious it is. Like we didn't just decide to roll out, you know, 12, 15 more movies, follow the same pattern, just create a new storyline, that sort of thing. Like we went really, different in some of our TV shows and the way that we're approaching things. And obviously, you know, taking on the whole concept of the multiverse allows for that a little bit, but I'm just really enjoying how there's no direct idea of what all this means yet. And and I guess when we were only a few movies in, you know, I think at the beginning of the cinematic universe, it was all about getting the Avengers together It wasn't about obviously Thanos right out the gate, even though that's what it turned into, you know, that first phase was more about introducing the Avengers, bringing them together and then, you know, having them fight together as one. And then it pivoted to kind of that bigger story of the infinity gauntlet. So right now I think we're just getting introduced more and more and being made more and more comfortable with just the concept of, multiple timelines, you know, the fact that there is this multiverse, all the things that go into it, understanding how, you know, getting you as a viewer comfortable with the fact that, yes, this is Dr. Strange, but it's not the Dr. Strange you've watched before. Right. Yes. There's going to be a lot of commonalities, a lot of personalities, a lot of things like that, but it's not the same. Or, you know, even how we got all the different Lokis and Loki um in in a couple of those episodes like yes they're all loki but 
they're not this like it's not just the same Loki right. in a different timeline, obviously. So I think that is a difficult concept to for non nerdy comic book people to <laughs> to comprehend. And so I think what Marvel is having to do and is really lay a strong foundation of like just getting people used to this and finding a way to kind of slowly introduce people to what's going to be really complicated in my mind and and bonkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point is using this as like a lip. <laughs> I listen, I, I'm not about to get political or get vaccinated, but it is the similar it is a similar function to what a vaccine does, which is get your body ready for the real thing, right? Like it gives you a little bit of something so that your body's antibodies can prepare and adapt. And this is kind of like that. They're giving them small, easily digestible chunks of different stories with characters that they're used to so that when when the universe really blows up over the course of the next three or four movies, hopefully the you know the regular Ma and Pa viewer uh, won't have their faces melted off. But I, I also think it's funny how not that this was intentional because it wasn't them working together, but how, you know, obviously a few years back we got Spider-Verse. And uh -huh. so we were introduced to these different timelines and the same characters, but different and how that even, you know, potentially sets up Marvel fans and, and viewers at large that went and saw that to better understand what we're kind of moving into in, in the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, that movie won an Oscar, you know, so like, why not try and, and, and match it? And while there are nitpicks here or there, you know, like, listen, I love the T'Challa episode, but let's be clear. There is literally no story reason or earthly reason or cosmic reason why T'Challa would get the name Star-Lord. Star-Lord was something that was personal to Peter Quill. It was his mom's nickname for him, and therefore that's what Peter Quill used as his nickname so like little things maybe, but like I'm not I'm not gonna spoil the zombies episode for you. And frankly, we haven't talked much spoilers on this anyway. You should go watch it if you have Disney Plus. I think it's really entertaining. But suffice it to say, as somebody who, uh, particularly with The Walking Dead, like I'm just not that into zombie stuff anymore, man. It's just The Walking Dead really turned me off to it. I will say I severely underestimated the danger of like a super powered zombie, you know, or, or a zombie with, you know, Avengers level powers. It's uh, a problem to say well, the least. Well, and it's, it's, then it's doing its job. I mean, the title of the series is what if, and it's getting you to think about things that you never would have thought about. I, I mean, what if, yeah, man, I mean, like again, what if there was a zombie in the Iron Man suit? What if a zombie had Captain's Captain America's shield? What if a zombie had the ability to grow or shrink like Ant-Man? That kind of stuff is stuff I never would have ever asked. And uh, and and the movie or the shows does a pretty good job of it. So I'm uh, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. I'm interested to see obviously how it plays out as just a limited run, but also in the in the grander scheme of the universe. And that kind of takes us to the main event, which is Shang-Chi. You know, we, we talked at the, at the top of this episode. I mentioned briefly how Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is 
I don't want to say the first origin story in a while, because obviously there have been origin stories and whatnot. You know, we had Captain Marvel technically not too long ago in terms of the movie timeline. Um, but it does feel like Marvel's first origin story in a while. Um, and it made a boatload of money. And you and I both really, really, really enjoyed it. Now, I wanted to do a little quick history lesson on Shang-Chi because, you know, it's funny. Marvel as a brand has just built itself up so much that it can release a movie like this with relatively unknown actors playing relatively unknown characters and it can break box office records. You know, Shang-Chi was a character that was originally created during the boom of the Kung Fu, you know, phase back in the 60s and 70s, you know, back when, you know, Bruce Lee was big and David Carradine was big. And this they basically Shang-Chi was was made to be Marvel's Bruce Lee, you know, and and he really wasn't much of a character. He was really kind of relegated to the role of the guy that kind of shows up to teach another character Kung Fu for whatever story reason that character needed to know Kung Fu. But in the comic books, well-known, pretty much well-known, like Shang-Chi is the greatest martial artist in the Marvel universe, like literally a living weapon. No one can touch him in terms of just being a master of the martial arts and whatnot. And that is, and frankly, even though it doesn't really differentiate him as a Marvel character, they have been trying to get a Shang-Chi movie made for a long time because he he was kind of born out of those, you know, martial arts types movies. It goes all the way back to when Brandon Lee was still alive way back in the 90s. You know, this went through directors like Stephen Norrington, who directed Blag or Yu Wu Ping, who directed like the Drunken Master, Crouching Tiger 2. Yu Wu Ping, for those who don't know, like, that guy did a ton. That is guy is an Asian martial arts movie master. He he directed Drunken Master, which is considered one of the, you know, obviously one of the greats of the Chinese martial arts cinema. But he did choreography on the Matrix trilogy. He did choreography on the Kill Bill movies. Like this guy's a legend. Ang Lee, you know, who directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, even had a chance to do it. And eventually we got to the point where the MCU happened. And at some point in time, they were going to introduce him. And so they brought in Desto Destin Daniel Cretton, who is really known more for his smaller dramas, uh, more personal, character-focused, dramatic films. So, for example, Short Term 12, which start, which if you haven't watched Short Term 12, you show it's like the cast is low-key stacked before everybody blew up. You're talking like Brie Larson, Lakeith Stanfield, like, amazing cast in short turn 12 and then more recently he did just mercy with um with my boy michael b jordan and now we're here and so i bring up destin daniel cretton and i bring up his history of of uh directing more character-based films because, David, I think that is one of the strongest points of this movie. I think it's a very good movie. Very much enjoyed it. But and, and the action is the action. The action is incredibly well directed, incredibly well choreographed. Maybe some of the best actual action in Marvel. But even better, the characters in this movie are fantastic. Uh, how did you like it? How did you like it overall? How did you like the action, the interpersonal relationships? 
Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I, you know, I sat there watching it, you know, and, and I've said this on many a podcast, but, you know, obviously one of the things I really enjoy is exploring stories that I don't know already. And I knew very little to nothing on Shang-Chi um, or even the 10 rings outside of what we had gotten in the fake 10 rings in Iron Man three. And so I was excited for it. Didn't have a whole lot of expectations around what to, what, what I'd be seeing in there, where the story was going. Obviously I don't read spoilers like yourself. So um, I really came in with a complete open mind and I, I thought it was fit. Absolutely fantastic. Definitely walked away. And I, and I, uh, we, we may talk about this later, but you know, it's, it's definitely in consideration for my top, top eight, I would say in the franchise. So obviously with the movies that we've had and, and you and I have talked at length about Marvel movies at this point and how much we enjoy them. And so I think that's obviously a big statement for it to, to kind of be in that range. I think, you know, from an origin story standpoint, you know, I think Black Panther is really the bar at this point from a standpoint of like everything that it does from the characters to the action, to the visuals, to just everything about it. But like this definitely, I had to sit there and think about it for a little bit and say like, which one do I like better? And I, and I do think Black Panther still edges it out, but it's, it's very, very close for me. And I think one of the commonalities between that, which I think is fantastic for Marvel, fantastic for our world, for cinema, is that it explores culture that we're not used to getting in superhero movies. And it gives us representation of, you know, Asian culture. And I think this movie does such a good job of blending you know, kind of the familiar things that we have with Marvel, with, you know, action movies, with, you know, the world that we've built out in the cinematic universe and bridging that to some real traditional, you know, Asian culture. And so I think that was really fun. And, and like you said, I think one of the things that stood out the most in this were the performances, you know, and, and I know we'll go kind of through some of the characters, but obviously the lead, um, and, um, yeah, Simu Lu was, was great. He was relatively, I would say unknown probably for most people. Um, definitely unknown for me going yeah. into it. He he's uh, on, and you would appreciate this cause Canadian show, but he's on Kim's convenience. Mm-hmm. which is a, a fairly well-known, fairly popular uh, Canadian kind of sitcom comedy. But other than that, pretty much unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's obviously, you know, was was fun to see someone that just wasn't on your radar, not a familiar face. It wasn't them casting a, a big name. Kind of reminded you of, you know, some of the characters that we love in this, you know, the Chris Evans, the... Uh, Chris Pratt's and I would argue that both of them were a little bit more known uh, than Simu Liu. Um, but then you have like Aquafina, who's just hilarious. I mean, I love Aquafina pretty much in everything that she's done, but um, she's fantastic in this and is the right amount of like funny, but not like over the top where like all that she says is just 
hilarious stuff all the time. Like right. they, they use her in the appropriate amount. Like it's not distracting. It doesn't feel like it's too much because obviously she's not the focus of this story. It's, it's not about her, but she's does so much to make this movie just that much better um, from the comedy, from the emotion, all that kind of stuff. And then all the supporting cast and, you know, we could go through all of them and I'd mispronounce most of their names, but um, you know, I just thought the cast as a, as a whole was fantastic. And the performances that we were got were just great. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Aquafina and Simulu have really good chemistry. Number one, it seems like they are because I think he's only supposed to be 24 or 26. In this movie. I don't know how he is in real life. How old he is in real life. I really should should have found that out. Um, he gotcha. is 32. 32. So he's 32. Aquafina is 33. And they're supposed to be in their mid 20s in this movie. And what I find so interesting about that is that they are now characters who have lived through and grown up with the Avengers in their world. And these guys are having getting origin stories as characters who have grown up in that world. And it kind of feels like we're getting like some of our people in there now. And what I mean by our people, and I say this as a straight white male is I just mean our generation, you know, the, the way that, that Shang-Chi and Katie uh, react to the situations around them seem more natural. They seem more grounded. They seem more relatable um, because we're not dealing with a, a billionaire. We're not dealing with a super soldier out of time. We're not dealing with a God. We're not dealing with somebody with superpowers. Like we're dealing with people who have just been living in the world, you know? And yes, Shang-Chi is a martial arts master. Like he can whoop ass, you know, all different types of ways, days, nights, and weekends and things like that. But he also wanted to go live a normal life in San Francisco, being a valet, and doing karaoke and shit. And those things are really, really relatable. And I think it is really cool. And then the other aspect of it, and uh, I don't know what the hell it is in movies. I don't know what the hell it is in Marvel or whatever. But there is just, it just feels like everything's Marvel's doing right now is, is, is basically having characters work through issues that require therapy. And for Shang-Chi, it's his father. It's dealing with his father and his parents. And they have one of the greats in Asian cinema and Chinese cinema in Tony, uh, Tony Leung, who is literally considered to be one of the most successful actors. Um, and what's really cool is we get him as quote unquote, the, the, the actual Mandarin, uh, even though in the movie he kind of rejects that title. And boy, is he freaking awesome in this movie. Like, he is top to bottom awesome. Every scene that he is in, he's awesome. And to Simulu's credit, he is a guy who can be really funny and goofy and relaxed and relatable with somebody like Aquafina, but he can go toe-to-toe with Tony Leung in a way that is believable and, and frankly, pretty impressive. And that's a very hard balancing act, you know, uh, even though Marvel is known for kind of mixing its comedy and its action and things like that. Um, I really liked it, man. I really liked it. And you brought up another really good point as well, which is that this movie references or this movie, you know, brings in a different culture. 
right? And it does that in a number of different ways. The way that Chinese cinema or Asian cinema in general influences this movie is so interesting because you have sequences in the beginning of the movie that are very reminiscent of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or uh, what is it? House of the Flying Daggers, the really sweeping operatic, you know, kind of people floating in midair type of style of Chinese Asian cinema. And then you get really street level action, which we'll talk more about in spoilers. That is more reminiscent of things like Rumble in the Bronx or or Bruce Lee type hand to hand stuff. And then we also get huge sweeping uh, scenes of of mystical creatures and Chinese mysticism and Chinese cultural mysticism. What which what I really like about it, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it, but what I really like about it is that the mystical creatures that we see and and we you've seen some of them in the trailers and whatnot. They are based in Chinese folklore. They are are based in Chinese culture, very similar to the way. I don't know, let's say Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or, or things are like. Are, are related and and used in American folklore and, and 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 maybe you can think of better examples here. But like for for an outsider like us, for like a Western outsider, we look at that and we see like, oh, that's just a you know fake fantasy creature, no different than something from Lord of the Rings, right? But in reality, they are much deeper cuts when it comes to Chinese culture. These are actual uh, actual references to Chinese cultural. Um, legends and 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 mystical creatures, and I think that's really cool. Uh, did you pick up on a lot of that? Did you did you did you b- like the fact that it jumped around from you know a little bit more street level and then a little bit more fantastical? Did that work for you? Yeah, I think we deal with that, you know, in Marvel as a whole. So I think for me that that works. I mean, we get things like. Captain America and then we jump to you know Guardians or Captain Marvel or things like that. So I think we've gotten used to kind of that blend of what is, you know, really relatable and realistic and you know kind of that gritty hand to hand to you know the bigger mystical and things like that and to date it's been you know things flying and you know gauntlets and new technology and all that kind of stuff and and this touched a little bit more into the mysticism but i think we already got that too from doctor strange in a lot of ways and and granted doctor strange was more presented as like what i would describe as magic uh, yeah and and this doesn't feel quite as much magical from that standpoint, even though, you know, you could probably draw a lot of comparisons. Uh, But I enjoyed what you were referencing where it's like, you could watch this movie and you could just think of it as a comic book movie. That's got some crazy stuff. You know, it's got dragons. It's got, you know, this, you know, all sorts of different things within there. And we'll, we'll talk more specifically in spoilers, but you've got all this mysticism and, and legends and things like that. And you could just approach it and be like, this is, you know, a great movie that's got some fun, you know, kind of fantasy stuff in it. And, and it's a great movie, but I think what's cool about it is it's the same thing that I feel like Marvel has done for comic book fans in the sense that 
there's little Easter eggs, there's little nuggets and there's, there's little things that you as a comic book fan and someone who's really nerdy about this story are going to see and observe and know. And I think to some degree, you know, and, and obviously it's a different conversation, but I think there was also things like that, that were true to the Chinese culture and things that you or I, without researching, probably would have no clue whether that's legit or that's something they actually, you know, they believe or is something that's true in that culture. We just take it as movie making and, and the story that we're getting, whereas for someone who is familiar with that culture is going to recognize those things and it's going to relate to them and it's going to be that much more meaningful and you're going to feel like this movie is that much more targeted at you. And so I'm sure just like <laughs> comic book people, I'm sure they messed up in some areas in slight ways and didn't quite represent it the way that, you know, they would like, but you can definitely feel like there was very much an attempt to do right by the Chinese culture and, and Asian culture as a whole, which I think is awesome. And I think it's something that's, it shows that you can do these stories and you can, you know, tackle kind of different cultures and, and showcase different cultures and still make a really successful movie that people, no matter what your background is, can identify with and enjoy. Exactly. And they're getting better and better at it. And the tr and again, the trick isn't the trick isn't like, oh, this is for black people. So it's going to be successful. The trick isn't, oh, this is for Asian people is going to be successful or, oh, this is for when it's going to be successful. Obviously there is these stories need to be told right but it is also just being good at telling these stories you know getting people behind them like ryan coogler like destin daniel Crichton, to be able to tell these stories in ways that come from an area of expertise come from an area of lived in knowledge come from an area of of understanding and it's awesome and and i'm all for it now before we do our ratings, I wanted to ask you, you came in, you came out of this movie pretty hot, meaning you pretty, you're pretty high up on it. Where do you think that this ranks for you? I'm not going to, we're not going to do what are, I don't know where we're at 25, 26, 27 Marvel movies. If you could pick which two movies you would wedge this in between and give like a general area where this movie would fit, where do you think this fits in the overall like enjoyment quality of MCU entries? Ah, uh, good question. I probably should. We probably should do a list just so we could answer that question a little bit easier. I'm not even sure I have a list of where those are ranked. <laughs> I think it's so like I would say not in specific order because I would have to go through these again. But to give people perspective, like my top Marvel movies in my mind, and this is in an order our original Avengers, Black Panther, Winter Soldier, uh, Ragnarok, uh, Endgame, Guardian, the first Guardians of the Galaxy, yep. uh, Captain America Civil War, and probably the original Iron Man. Okay. And probably Infinity War is probably in there too. Um, those would probably be the ones that first go in there. And then after that, probably like Spider-Man Homecoming, Captain America, First Avenger, those. I think it's it's somewhere in the mix of those first ones I listed. So the the three Avengers movies, or Affinity War, Endgame, and the original Avengers, plus original Iron Man, original Guardians, 
Civil War and um, Ragnarok and Black Panther. It's somewhere in the mix with those. So I would say it's in my top tier. Like I probably have like three or four tiers for Marvel movies and it's it's definitely in my top tier. It is it is very good. Um, I do think that they're, you know, I, I try not to get into the habit of being like, well, it should have been this, right? That's I'm not interested in that type of criticism. Um, I really did like this movie. I think it's probably in it's probably squeaking into my top 10, maybe my top eight. I don't know that it makes it into my top five. And the only reason that it isn't I'm not even more hyped about it is because I do feel like we could have gotten a little more of this movie being on the street level and then maybe a second movie to be in a more mystical level. Now, that being said, maybe Marvel is just on an accelerated timeline. You know, maybe, you know, they got to bring a guy like Shang-Chi up to a level where he can deal with a world that is filled with Kang the Conquerors and Eternals and Infinity Stones and blah, blah, blah. So maybe they 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 just don't have the time to stretch that kind of world out. You know, we're already in it. That was the beauty of the first phase of the Avengers was that they got to scale up to a global threat. You know, Iron Man one, he fought one robot guy. Iron Man two, he fights a, a bunch of robot guys. And then the Avengers were fighting a global threat, you know, so that's my only nitpick, but it, it's very close. It's it's in there with some of the top ones. It's in there with like your like, again, like you said, like some of my favorite origin stories are the obviously the first Iron Man. But like I'm, I really like Doctor Strange as well. And I think this is as good, if not better than than that. I'd have to do this is going to prompt me to do an actual official rankings. There you go. These days, because I don't think I've done it before. Um, but regardless, obviously we both like the movie, but we need to know what our popcorn ratings are. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. So if you've never listened to the podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Uh, instead of stars or thumbs up or rankings, we have our popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means the movie is garbage. Don't waste your time. Don't even if it's free, don't bother. It belongs in the trash. Then we have stale popcorn, which is not great. It's not ideal in any situation. But if you're in a pinch and you're not paying for it, fine. Go ahead. Just be aware of what you're in for. It's not very good. Microwave popcorn is in the middle. Your mileage may vary. It could be very satisfying for some people. It could be kind of disappointing for others, just like microwave popcorn. Movie theater popcorn means that you should probably go see this in a movie theater. Maybe not right away, but it's worth the investment to go see on the big screen. And then perfect popcorn means you should go see this movie on the big screen as soon as possible. And then if we're ever in the middle, we like to throw a soda in there just in case. So, David, for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, what is your popcorn rating? Well, I think I've probably uh, telegraphed where I'm going here, given <laughs> given our conversation thus far. But for me, it's perfect popcorn. I I really don't have any nitpicks. I, d- I don't quite share your uh, your hesitation on it around wanting to uh, to hold back a little bit on kind of the mysticism or, or the the big stuff. Uh, for me, 
I, I honestly can't think of a thing I would change. And, and maybe when I go rewatch it, there'll be something or there'll be nitpicks, but I walked out of it feeling like that was fantastic. So perfect popcorn for me. You know, I'm also going to give it perfect popcorn. And that's with me saying that it had, uh, you know, that it, it could have gone differently or me having a nitpick or whatever, because even though like in hindsight, I'm thinking like, oh, it would have been nice if it did this instead of this. I walked out of the movie perfectly hyped. I, I did not not like any part of it. You know what I mean? And so even though I would have liked more of one thing and then split it off into more of another, I don't think that's a real like negative criticism. That means I want more of something. You didn't give me enough of it. <laughs> that's a weird personal like uh, uh, to me, it would be weird to dock it for that type of thing. And so I am going to give it perfect popcorn as well. Just because everything that it does, I think it does really, really well. I think it does the humor very well. We didn't even talk about Ben Kingsley, who, again, I don't think is a spoiler that he's in this movie since he is intrinsically tied to the Ten Rings in the MCU. But, like, it's funny. The action is dope. The mystical stuff, the monsters, the fighting, the mythology, all of it is really, really cool. So I think this might be... I don't know if this is the first time this year where we both gave something perfect popcorn, but it might you be. Might. It might be. Now, I want to talk more spoilers. I want to break down a little bit more what I'm talking about when it comes to street fighting versus big mysticism type stuff, but but that requires spoilers, and we before we talk spoilers, we are going to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, spoilers, David. If you haven't watched Shang-Chi yet, don't listen. What did you think about the action? There's, We're not the only people, I'm not the only person to say like, oh, this has got some of the best action sequences in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it does, and yeah. a big part of that is because we're not seeing, at least, you know, not until the end, we're, we're seeing street-level combat. We're seeing, you know, hand-to-hand stuff. It, it is on the level with, like, uh, it, in my opinion, like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that has really good, really well-choreographed fight stuff. How'd you like the action? What was some of your favorite action in the movie? Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think... That's one thing that, you know, if we're getting into, you know, and maybe this is, uh, you know, too sweeping of a characteristic, but like if we're getting into like the Kung Fu or the, those type of movies, typically one of the character traits of them is just really well choreographed, uh, action, well choreographed fight sequences. And I think obviously we benefit that from that in this film. I think it obviously starts out 
you know, really great. I, the first one that really comes to mind to me, I know we get some before it is, is the, uh, is the bus fight Yes, in, in San Francisco, uh, which is always exciting. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we get a lot of like driving through San Francisco or incorporating somehow like the Hills and the changing levels of San Francisco and just kind of the unique layout of that city. I feel like that's been used a lot in films, but that being said, I was, I was here for it. And I think it was uh, a real fun start to it. Like you said, kind of keep it on more of the street level and, and the, and that level. But I think even when we go back to some of the training, some of the practice, you know, all of those, you know, we all love good training montages and things like that. But as you go through it, I think it, it really kind of built up well. And we kind of introduced a little bit more and more each time, a little bit of mysticism each time that I think really kind of ramped up well. Um, but I, I mean, like I said, I don't have a whole lot of nitpicks on it, even in the final scene, when we get the dragons and, you know, all the, you know, craziness that goes with that, there was still aspects of it that felt kind of grounded to some degree. Um, sure. You know, at, at least in the slightest ways, you know, we weren't, it wasn't like strange where we were casting spells and, you know, using cheat codes to some degree or things like that. There was still like, Aquafina shot the dragon with an arrow and or the whatever the dark the demon or whatever it is with uh, a with an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know we had little aspects like that where it was like for all the like big aspects of it we were still doing things like um I can't remember what his sister and now I'm blanking on her name it's, used uh, but it's, basically it's hard the to rope pronounce. with the the rope with the with the arrow at the end of it. Arrow at the end. Yeah. Um, which dagger. led to some some great aspects too and, and things like that. So I thought even throughout all that, we had some some fun stuff. And I also felt like even though that scene was probably longer than I realized, like I felt like we had earned it at that point. Like we had, you know, laid enough foundation there that it mm -hmm. didn't feel like that was the movie. Like I still think of the movie as pretty grounded from a fight standpoint, even though the climax involved you know, a massive dragon and a massive demon type character in it. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I loved all the action as, as I went through it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, uh, I loved again, going back to what we were talking about, referencing the different types of Asian cinema, like the, the whole sequence of, of when Wu uh, and um, his whole like origin story and him meeting uh, Ying Li, his wife, is ripped directly out of House of the Flying Daggers and direct, mm -hmm. ripped directly from from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Very operatic, very ballet style type fighting. Very like courtship through fighting, uh, which is like that is a calling card of those types of films. And then we go from that, and we get even Wen Wu himself. Uh, there's a scene where after his wife dies where he shows up in like a suit jacket with the sleeves rolled up and the 10 rings on his forearms. And this is like some crime story, Asian crime story shit where he's coming in looking like a total badass and just lays waste to the guys with the 10 rings. That is, that is awesome. Right. And you talked about the bus scene and how 
they shot a ton of that choreography practical. You know, yeah, it was on a soundstage. It was on blue screen, but they shot it on a bus, you know, and they obviously had wire work or whatever. They didn't shoot it on the streets, but all of that martial arts fighting was 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 real and choreographed. And the side of the building sequence is awesome as well. And I love how these guys are so skilled at, at what they do that it's almost as if the fact that they're on the side of the building doesn't matter, you know? And I, I love the little character beats we get from, from the sister, uh, Ling, you know, saving Aquafina's character, or even like, like Sean, she's ready to kill the death dealer. You know, they have that little fight and he's ready to, to put that knife in death dealer right then and there. And there's those little character beats are just really, really cool. And then obviously, once they get to uh, what is it, uh, Talo, you have a, a small version of like an army battle. You know, you have the the Mandarin army, which isn't very big. You know, it's maybe 100, 150 people. It's, I mean, fairly big, but we're not talking armies here. And then, yeah, man, I mean, the end again, I loved it. But it, it and it is a testament to the film itself, I think, that it does still work because this movie ends with Shang-Chi riding on the back of a, of a freaking dragon, <laughs> shooting rings into the demon's mouth and then pulling it out his chest like that. That's a big that's a big escalation. Like I went sure. from fighting guys on a bus to flying on a dragon at the end. Um, but nonetheless, like I really enjoyed the action. I. uh let me ask you a question. I heard some people were like, oh, Aquafina shooting the dragon in the neck. That's a stretch. Like Aquafina killed the dragon. Aquafina didn't kill the dragon, though. Like, I want to yeah. I want to point this out. Right. Like that was just like a that was a wound to prevent the demon from getting the good dragon soul. Right. I mean, it, to me, it was the equivalent of like. You got a bully who's got someone pinned down and is about to punch him in the face and someone throws a pebble, hits him in the head and it distracts them, distracts them for just enough time to let the, the person wiggle out of there and get away type of thing. Right. And that in essence was what it was to me. Right. Like, and we established that, you know, those arrows, you know, had the, the dragon scales on them because all that stuff that they were using to fight, the, the demons, you know, had those, uh, you know, scales on them in some way. And so that was the whole point of those. And so I felt like it was one of those things where it like provided that opening, but it didn't really do much. Like it just was enough of a distraction that it allowed, you know, him to do his thing. So yeah, that's how I um, read it. That's, that's, how that's, how, it. that's how I read it. I didn't feel like it was like, Oh, Aquafina defeated the demon or whatever it was. <laughs> I, I read it as like Aquafina gave him the opening he needed to defeat the demon yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, how'd you like Ben Kingsley, man? How, uh, who would have thought that Academy Award winner Ben Kingsley would be like the secret comedic weapon well, first and foremost, I think it needs to be mentioned, and we probably should have mentioned this in non-spoilers, is that I definitely recommend making sure you go and watch All Hail the King, the uh, yes, the quote-unquote one-shot that... Uh, that they just put on Disney Plus. That they put ago. on Disney Plus right before 
the release of Shang-Chi because it basically lets you know how Ben Kingsley got to where he is when we meet him in, in the movie. But it's also really funny. Um, I enjoy that one shot and it kind of sets the tone for what we get in the movie. Like we got a little bit of it at Iron Man 3, but Iron Man 3 was a long time ago. So while I think people will remember Ben Kingsley's character, Trevor, from Iron Man 3, like I don't think you're going to remember a lot of like the quirkiness and how funny he was post the reveal that he was just an actor. I don't know that people will remember that as much. So like that one shot, the all hail the King one shot combined with, you know, obviously the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely one of the standouts from, from the movie and the combo of him and Aquafina are just hilarious. And, you know, it's just another Testament to what Marvel has done really well with their movies. They find the right dynamic of funny and heart and action and you know the storytelling they they just do a really good job of balancing that you think of guardians and you know some of the heavy stories and themes that they conquer in that but you're laughing like half the movie and it's not in a way that distracts from being able to take the impact of what they're trying to get across the themes and the stories and the plot that they have it just enhances it and that's what i think was fantastic about both of them. Did we need Ben Kingsley in this movie? No. Like, I don't think there was anything specific inside this movie that Ben Kingsley needed to be in. Like, I don't think there was any aspect that he had to be in. I mean, yes, he kind of, he has the pet that he can communicate with that opens the door to them. Morris getting to Tallow, my guy, but like you obviously could have done that another way. So like, Ben Kingsley was definitely like a cherry on the top versus like a needed ingredient to this film. And obviously it helped connect this universe, which is what Marvel is fantastic with. It connected us to, wait a second, we've already had the Mandarin. It was the fake Trevor Slattery character. And so, I mean, that's just a credit to Marvel in the sense that they could have been lazy. They could have just disregarded him, moved on, explained it in a two two minute conversation on screen mm-hmm. shown a flashback. Like they could have done that, but instead they went the length of getting Ben Kingsley back, which probably wasn't cheap and no putting him into this film in a major way and being able to weave it in a way that didn't seem ridiculous, but at the same time time brought some levity outside of Aquafina that I think, you know, a story like this that has a lot of like, you know, Asian, culture in it and legend and has a lot of heavy storytelling of like father and son and you know mother and daughter and all that kind of stuff it brings some levity to it that i think you know only makes the experience that much better so um yeah he was he was fantastic in it not that that's a surprise to anybody that ben kingsley was great in a movie i mean he's the there's there's a scene where he talks about how he watched planet of the apes and <laughs> For those of you who've seen the movie, you know what you're talking. You know what I'm talking about. And his mom is like, "No, no, that's not real. They're just acting." And yet he didn't understand. He still thought the apes were real, and he's just like, "When I saw those apes, I realized those apes weren't really riding horses. They were acting." Like that is <laughs> honestly maybe funnier than most things I've seen in comedies, especially yeah. the last couple of years worth of comedies. Um, and just and again, like the idea of 
this the movie's mid credit scene ends on a joke. Like it ends on a uh uh oh the you guys are part of the Avengers now and oh this is super serious and this is gonna be crazy. You guys better get some rest with and then they're like or and then it ends with them doing doing karaoke, you know, like yeah. and and it's just really funny and the way that they react and the way Aquafina and Simulu interact with one another and the way that Katie and Shang-Chi have a very real friendship that is, again, very funny. Uh, it's just really well done. And I'm not necessarily the biggest Aquafina fan. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm part of the Aquafina hive for 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 any you know measure of, of definition, but like I thought she really worked in this movie. Um, I was kind of I was kind of wondering what it would look like to put such like a strong kind of modern cultural personality is her into a Marvel movie and it it works it works really well it helps makes this movie feel even more grounded um yeah I think it was not unlike um what's his name in Ant-Man um uh oh yeah Luis his his yeah Luis <laughs> how and I, I how dare I forget his name I know I know but I feel like Pena, Michael she, Pena. Yeah, Michael Pena. Like Michael Pena, everybody knew Michael Pena and what he brings and his comedy and that kind of stuff going into Ant Man. And so, you know, I think just like that, you were like, okay, like, is this going to be too, like, is, are they going to go too goofy with this? Is this, is this going to be distracting? And I think just like it wasn't distracting and only enhanced the experience of Ant Man, I think the same can be said of Aquafina in, in this movie in the sense that, like, it's, definitely Aquafina being Aquafina for most of this movie in a lot of ways, but at the same time, like it fits and it works and, and they do a great job with it. Yeah, it really does. Um, I just really like even thinking about it now, like I want to go back and watch Tony Leung again. Like I want to go back and watch those things again because they're so cool. Let's talk about the cameos. Let's talk about the MCU as a whole here. Cause this has a few references for the most part, I think it does a pretty good job of staying in its own lane, um, which I respect. You know, there are no Infinity Stones that need to be introduced or anything like that. Although at the end, they do say that, like, oh, these 10 rings, we don't know where they came from. They're not Chitari tech. They're not elements. We don't recognize where they are. So, like, who's not to say it's going to lead to something other big and, and, and revolutionary and what have you. But let's go through some of the cameos here. First and foremost... We get Wong and Abomination fighting at the fight club that Shang-Chi's sister, uh, Xiaoling, uh, runs and owns. But then we see him kind of just talking buddy-buddy and going off into a portal to what looks like a holding cell for Abomination. What do you think about that? I think that there... I obviously think Abomination's coming back in some way, shape, or form, but I think we're going to get... There have been rumors, all these rumors, that we're going to get Thunderbolts, which is usually... Thunderbolts is traditionally a team filled with like villains but that are more anti-heroes kind of what we saw happen with baron zemo in falcon and the winter soldier kind of what we're seeing here which is like oh abomination still not great but also oh he's kind of working with wong here what do you think about that is there do you read anything into that yeah i think it definitely opened the door for a lot you know i don't know enough of those other storylines to be like oh i bet you that's that you know that kind of thing but it does. It did seem like 
to some way they had a relationship and were cooperating. Um, like you said, I, I think the Baron Zemo uh, tie-in is, is a great, great analogy for it in the sense that I could see it being something where like, where Wong is, you know, he's, he's using it, he's training him, he's trying to get him to a point, he's building that relationship to a way that like you could work with him. Not that he's a good guy, but you can work with him to get to accomplish something that needs to be done. And right. so I think it definitely opens the door. I don't think we're going to at any point suddenly have like abominations, the new Hulk in the Marvel cinematic universe. And he's kind of filling that void left by Hulk. But I do think it opens the door for him to, you know, be a relevant part of like a suicide squad esque type of storyline or, or things like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then of course, Wong shows up a couple times in this movie. He shows up at the actual end, you know, to uh, to invite them, you know, hey, I need you guys to come with me. And then we get the mid credit sequence where we get Wong analyzing the Ten Rings and then we get Bruce Banner and we get Captain Marvel. And they're kind of in the same holograms that we saw in Endgame. Like they're using the holographic technology to kind of coordinate and like police the universe, what have you. Um I like seeing Bruce Banner again. Obviously, we got to consider the fact that he's human again in this one. His arm's in a sling because Hulk had his arm all screwed up because of the Infinity Gauntlet snap or whatever. And yet, and I can't help but notice maybe, and again, maybe this is just like Marvel has trained me to look too closely on these things. His hand looked fine. I don't know if that's just like, oh, we're not going to take the time to like put makeup on Ruffalo's hand for a quick cameo or whatever, but uh, what do you think could possibly be on the horizon for, for the crew, you know, that says that yeah. the Ten Rings is putting out a beacon somewhere? Well, I think this is the thing that we're in, uh, good and bad, in the point that we're in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the fact that we're in this whole this madness, this uh, all these timelines, all these open doors for you know, things. The other thing with origin stories is, you know, where they fit in the timeline. Obviously the only thing that we get identified through this is it's post snap. Right. And, yes. you know, we would assume that means it's also post infinity war and end game yep. given, you know, where we're at with, with captain Marvel and, and Hulk, but we've seen before, like Marvel has no problem, like putting a movie out, and then coming out with something that happened before that, that bridges the gap to something that we've seen, you know, from that standpoint, they don't necessarily just release their movies and shows in chronological order. Um, they do it more almost like if you think about a movie, how movies are not always linear and right. the story as a whole sometimes jumps ahead only to flash back. And so I think there's a lot of different ways they could go with it. I think, you know, you have the aspect of who they chose to put in that and the fact that we have, you know, Wong, we have Captain Marvel and we have Hulk or Bruce Banner. And so, you know, you could read into that to, to some perspective of who they chose to put in that meeting. You know, there wasn't, you know, our boy Don Cheadle and and that which we've come to expect when there's these meetings, you know, there's someone from the government or from you know, the organization that we're, we're talking about, 
you know, we've come to expect, you know, certain people to be there and we didn't get them. And so I don't know what that says, but like all things, I'm it's, it's got my curiosity going. Certainly it's got the curiosity going, which leads me to my last question. We get a cool title card. The 10 rings will return. Mm-hmm. And we got Jialing in charge and we got a new 10 rings. We got a new 10 rings with technology, with mm-hmm. satellites, with men and women fighting and training together. And I kind of like how like we're being positioned, especially these last two movies. Just the world is getting murkier and the world is getting more complex before it was just like, OK, this freaking guy's Hydra, this freaking guy's X Hydra. Here's we got to fight other X Hydra guys. But now we got I mean, we got a whole army of black widows lurking in the world. We got a whole a whole new possibility of the Ten Rings becoming a, a force to be reckoned with. I think it's really exciting, don't you? Yeah, I think it's it's super interesting. And and what we've been set up to some degree by you know what we've gotten thus far is the idea that like you have the the snap where suddenly all these people disappeared, and then yes, they all came back, but it's not like the world just went back to what it was before. Like the people right. who did not get snapped lived an extended period of time with half the people being gone. And, you know, you think about half the government leaders being gone and half the military being on and like everything that would play into a world where like half the people are gone and the chaos that would ensue and just inserting everybody back does not immediately put it back to normal. And so, you know, there's this concept that they've kind of built up of like, you know, who's in power and who's saying like, you know, even just the idea of like, listen, if we could all disappear out of nowhere at any time, like kind of like YOLO, like let's, let's just go for it. Like who knows, like anything could happen, like shoot your shot type of thing. And so it feels like you've got all these different organizations kind of vying for power because no one really respects maybe the established former powers, the normal, you know, kind of way of living or the normal power structure is starting to be disregarded because it's like, we don't have to respect that type of thing. This is, you know, a world that is much bigger than what we maybe originally thought it was. Yeah, man. It's really exciting. It's really cool. I actually really like that ending. You know, I've, I've heard some arguments about how they had to create a strong female character and then make her a villain again. I'm not so sure she necessarily a villain. You know, they've they've shown, you know, I mean, we just mentioned Baron Zemo. We 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 can bring up Sharon Carter like they have shown that people are able to operate in various stages of gray and have them be very popular, very exciting characters um, that can have huge impacts on things. So I'm very excited for it overall and in general. Uh, the Ten Rings will return, and <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for more Shang-Chi. Uh, I- I'm ready for more. I can't even begin to speculate about what the next one will be about, though. Like, the world is just too big, you know? Yeah, do- one question on that. Do you think we'll get a Shang-Chi 2? Um, yeah. Or do you think it's just, you know, because we're getting a Black Panther 2. Right. Um, most origin stories we've gotten a second 
obviously we don't know with we're probably not getting a Black Widow too, or at uh-huh. least it's not going to be ScarJo Black Widow. But like mm-hmm. Captain America, we got multiple movies. Thor, we got multiple movies. Guardians, we got multiple movies. Iron Man. Um, do you, so let's this. This would be a question: Is are we going to get another Shang Chi? Let's put it this way, okay? There were exactly two years between Spider Man One, Spider Man Two. There will be if everything goes according to plan, and. We're also including the pandemic in this four years between Black Panther and Black Panther 2. There were three years between Iron Man and Iron Man 3. There were eh, three to four years between Thor, Thor the Dark World, Thor Ragnarok. Here's where I think what we're going to get with Shang-Chi. There were six years or will be six years between Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange 2. I do think we are going to get a Shang-Chi 2. However, it would not shock me if it is similar to what they are doing with with the rest of the sequels now. You know, Captain Marvel 2 is the Marvels. It will be Captain Marvel, but it will have additional characters. Spider-Man Far From Home is definitely a Spider-Man film, but Doctor Strange is in that trailer as much as anybody. So I do think that we will get a Shang-Chi too. Um, the only question is who's going to join him? You know, who, who, who else are we going to get? Are we going to get heroes from higher? You know, Shang-Chi in the comic books was a hero for hire and heroes for hire. You're talking daredevil. You're talking most of the Netflix crew, right? Most of the defenders rumor has it. Daredevil is going to show up in the new Spider-Man film. So could we get daredevil in Shang-Chi? Taking out some 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 Chinese, you know, bad guys, maybe very likely. Um, I think the I think the one of the ways best ways to answer that, which I can't do right now. Just look at the look at the people that they've teamed him up with in the comics for some ideas, you know, for some ideas, because he's been teamed up with all kinds of people to do all types of things. But that is a very long way for me to say, yes, I do think we're going to get a Shang-Chi too. At some point in time, what it's going to look like. That that remains to be seen, but it's very exciting. Do you think we'll get a Shang-Chi too? I think we will. I agree with you that it could be maybe not called Shang-Chi too, but I do think we'll get something. And I also think part of that may be impacted too by the success, the overwhelming success that this movie has already been true. You know, I think Very good point. I don't think that always dictates it, but I think it's easier for Disney and Marvel to be like, this was a fantastic hit. We've got gold in these characters. Like we've got to find a way to make a Shang-Chi two that fits into the storyline. And then the creatives get going on. Okay. We know where we're wanting to go with this story, how do we incorporate a second movie? What would it be? How does it support the overall storyline? Because I think that was done to some degree. Like if you think about something, even like guardians of the galaxy too. Sure. Like what did that progress the overall story with, with the whole ego storyline and things like that? It mm-hmm. in- opened some doors for some potential new stuff, but like a lot of, in a lot of ways, guardians of the galaxy Two felt like, Guardians one was a massive success. Like let's go out of our way to tell another story and we can just fit it into the timeline of the overall thing without affecting 
sure. where we're planning to go. Sure. And that so. was the, that was the benefit of Guardians, too. The other thing is, is like, listen, we're still not at a point where these movies are going to be making billions of dollars again. You know, like Shang-Chi was very successful in terms of the uh, American box office marketplace. But, the, you know, don't even get me started on China and all the bullshit that they're pulling right now. <laughs> but like I, Shang-Chi's not going to hit a billion dollars. And the last Spider-Man movie hit a billion dollars. Captain Marvel hit a billion dollars. Black Panther hit a billion dollars. You know, obviously the Avengers movies were as big as they were, but like Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy, like they, the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 particularly, like they tapped out at around eight, eight and a, eight and 50 million. So box office isn't exactly an indicator is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, but nonetheless, Pop- popularity though, and, and yes. combined with, that and popularity how well this movie has been received reviewed all that kind of stuff has a lot to do with uh whether or not we'll get another one i agree a hundred percent well i'm excited for it i'm excited for more marvel i'm excited for more what if we got we got a ton of stuff still coming obviously we still have eternals we have no way home we have hawkeye and miss marvel that we'll be getting on disney plus lot of marvel to dive into and obviously we love talking about it so we'll be here to talk about it when those movies come out but we're gonna put a pin in it before we go i want to remind you all again that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button hitting that follow button wherever you listen to podcasts take a second hit the button give us a rating write us a review and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of an independent film podcast when film needs all the support it can get right now. That is patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can get all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet adios